Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 13th of May 2020 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Well, it's time for us to get out and about again in Hong Kong, cautiously and safely, and masked up, of course. Today, as we're getting used to the raising temperature, we'll be listening to a story from another era in another country, this time from Ella, who comes from Russia. After Ella, we'll hear a poem from a local Hong Kong poetry group written by Jennifer Ann Eagleton called Be Water, a modern Hong Kong opera in four acts, notes on performance. Before we get to today's stories, though, a big enthusiastic hello goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. It has been a long year already, and we aren't even halfway through. But stay safe and keep on keeping on, Hong Kong. Thanks go out to our overseas listeners as well, especially listeners in London in the UK, Paris in France, and Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. We're feeling pretty good about Hong Kong's progress towards being able to gather freely again. Our next workshops will be posted on our website as soon as we feel comfortable. Keep checking it for details. Find it at hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now with the story from the December 2019 show, which had the theme, Meeting You, here is Ella. This was the 1980s, the Soviet Union. I worked as an English teacher at the secondary school, but I also had a side job as an interpreter for the Soviet Women's Committee, which I was absolutely lucky to have, given I was not a Communist Party member. The Soviet Women's Committee was a propagandist organization that promoted communist ideology and supported contacts with foreign women's groups. I didn't care about ideology, but I absolutely loved my glamorous job. <laughs> People coming from all over and what a chance to practice English. Besides, the Soviet Women's Committee was the best travel agency because conferences organized by the Soviet Women's Committee were always held in different Soviet cities where we stayed at the best hotels, eating at the best restaurants because the Soviet Women's Committee was to show our true Soviet hospitality and the advantages of socialism. (laughs) This time, the conference was held in Central Asia, in Tashkent, the capital city of Uzbekistan, then part of the Soviet Union. We were 20 interpreters, a group of journalists, and all that was organized by an executive lady from the Soviet Women's Committee, Valeria. Valeria was a woman of a certain age, in thick glasses, her gray hair cut short. But the main feature was that her front tooth was missing, and she always had a cigarette in the empty space. Her normal state of being was grim and serious, but sometimes she was unexpectedly friendly, and they never knew how to react. Before every international event, she 
held an orientation session for interpreters. Complete waste of time. But <laughs> missing it meant no more interpreting job for the Soviet Women's Committee. That's why I had to go and listen. She was saying always the same stuff about the importance of our mission, that we were at the forefront of the ideological struggle, and that the enemy never sleeps. <laughs> the enemy was American imperialism and its agents, American spies, who were everywhere, around every corner, behind every bush, in every hole. <laughs> All foreigners coming to the Soviet Union by the invitation of the Soviet Committee were under suspicion. Each of them could be an American spy. Once, there at the conference, during a coffee break, smiling, Valeria started a conversation with me. That was her friendly face. Uh, what do you think about Carol, she said. Carol was the conference participant, a member of a pro-communist American uh, women's group from Washington, D.C. I saw you interpreting an interview for her for the local TV, Valeria said, and then you chatted with her. Oh-oh, time to get worried. All unauthorized contacts with foreigners were forbidden. I said, oh, she had just asked me where I had studied English. Here, Valeria ended up the conversation, leaving me absolutely perplexed. The next day, Valeria said to me, Carol wants to go to the bazaar. I want you to be her guide. Uh, she continued, American imperialism is on the march. Carol is an American spy. She might even try to recruit you. But you know what to do in such situation. Yes, I knew. The instructions were to report any suspicious behavior. But that was her usual talk. She continued, Dad, at the bazaar, do not let her go to the toilet. <laughs> that was something new. <laughs> Why? Was a public toilet at the bazaar a secret object and foreigners were not allowed there? Or maybe it was so dirty that it cannot be shown as an advantage of socialism. <laughs> or maybe... <laughs> Or maybe Valeria was kidding, and I didn't get the joke. This was not the joke. Valeria declared, This afternoon, you are on a very important mission. The national security is at stake. Local spies left Carol a message in the toilet at the bazaar. Do not let her go to the toilet. <laughs> I wondered how I could control the initial functions of Carol's body. <laughs> but what if she needs to go? Valeria said, it doesn't matter. You are tasked not to let her go. And it's up to you how to do it. Well, what could I do? I was not in a position to criticize her decisions, to doubt them, not to fulfill anything she asked me to do, because I was there to obey her. Otherwise, 
I could be accused of being an American spy myself and end up in Gulag. I sighed and said, okay, what time do I pick her up at the hotel? Anyway, we went to the bazaar. The bazaar was strikingly colorful and dynamic. Bazaar sellers were very friendly. One of them uh, wanted to treat us with watermelon. I thought, watermelon? No, no. Watermelon is diuretic. She would ask to use the toilet in 20 minutes. And I said, Carol, you know what? Let us check whether they sell national dresses here. Beautiful. I found a shop where they were selling national dresses. We went there. She liked it. She was trying all the dresses, chatting with shop assistants, through me, of course, uh, smiling. I was smiling, too. But my thoughts were about the toilet. <laughs> to let or not to let? This is the question. Shall I let her go there, but ask not to tell Valeria? But it would sound absolutely idiotic unless I explained to her everything. That was impossible. She would immediately tell on me. Or maybe I say that there are no public toilets at the Shkent Bazaar because nobody uses them. This doesn't sound very convincing. Or I can just let her go, and what will be, will be. We continued our bazaar visit, and uh, Carol liked it. Eventually, she bought everything she planned to, and uh, she was very content. Uh, but the main thing, that she didn't ask to use the toilet, <laughs> thankfully. She liked it that much, and she was so much impressed that all the way back to the hotel, she was chattering, saying that life was wonderful in the Soviet Union. The Soviet you people had everything they needed, and even more. Western media was lying. Soviet people were sure about their future. Soviet people were free in their choices. Poor naive Carol. If she, <laughs> if she only knew about my mission, and that here at the Tashkent Bazaar in the Soviet Union, she wasn't even free to go to the toilet whenever she got to go. Perspectives can make all the difference. Ella's story is a slice of time in another place. Hold on just a second. I need to use the bathroom. Just kidding. If you want to be able to tell your story as well as Ella did hers, come to a workshop. Keep an eye on the website hongkongstories.com for details of when we'll start up again. Now we have a poem for the second part of our podcast today. This poem was written for Kong Po Rai Mo. What is Kung Po Raimo? 30 poems in 30 days, all of April, every year, for all of us Hong Kongers. 
You can find this group, Kong Po Rai Mo, it's K-O-N-G-P-O-W-R-I-M-O on Facebook. And you can read all the poems from the April 2020 Call to Poets. This poem is written by Jennifer Ann Eagleton. Be Water, a modern Hong Kong opera in four acts. Notes for performance. 1. Ice. Narrator-singer. Once hard as ice, apathetic, be rational, be pragmatic, they cry. Economic city, economic city, economic city. No need for demo-crazy, but time will tell. Instrumentation Starts off with Irhu, then Chinese folk tunes are played, Beneath the Lion Rock and Canto Pop. Chorus Wear ordinary street clothes. They chant over and over again the following numbers in a robot-like manner. One nine eight four, one nine nine seven, two zero zero three, two zero zero four, two zero zero five, two zero zero seven, two zero one two, two zero one four, two zero one eight, two zero one nine. This chant gets louder and louder and angrier as it is repeated. The chant should last for at least 22 minutes to reflect the years of Hong Kong as an S.A.R. Number 2. Water Narrator, singer Formless, shapeless water in a cup becomes the cup. Water in a teapot becomes the teapot. B B B water, B B B water. Here, here, there, there, every, everywhere, where, but now, now, where, where. Quicksilver, morphology, purified through adversity. You run, run. Instrumentation. Various percussion instruments such as cymbals, timpani, gongs, as well as trumpets and bassoons to represent clashes between protesters and police. Whistles of various sizes sound to represent tear gas being thrown. The chorus. Now in black from head to toe, their faces are covered with black gas masks. They chant the following slogans over and over again. Liberate Hong Kong, revolution of our times, and five demands, not one less. One half of the chorus stand stage left, the other stage right. One side then shouts out, Hong Kong, and the other side replies, add oil. They then run randomly back and forth on the stage in slow motion as if they're moving through water. They do this for 60 minutes to represent six months of protests. The chorus then freezes in position. 3. Dew Narrator-singer Glistening drops on black bitumen you form on its surface lockstep. 
Cooled to its dew point, you almost melt into its gooey blackness as your vapor condenses. Your dew point is reached. Instrumentation. Double bass. Solo voice makes a moaning sound. Sound effects. Crackling flame. Chorus. Now wearing tattered black clothing, standing behind makeshift barricades on both sides of the stage. Random shouts are made for around 14 minutes to represent two weeks of university sieges. Four. Mist. Narrator Singer. You are mist. You are mist. You are tiny droplets barely seen. Barely seen. You are tiny droplets barely seen. You hang in the air. Hang in the air. You rapidly cool. Yes, you will disappear. Yes, you may disappear for a while, but you will gain visibility. Coolness is not a death, but a cocooning, soon to be water in all its forms once again. Again. Instrumentation. Flutes and clarinets play one single note continuously. Chorus. Now dressed all in white, they hang by wide white ribbons from the ceiling from both sides of the stage. They gradually descend one by one and stand still at different areas of the stage for 30 minutes to represent the pandemic. The spots they stand on are special platforms where they descend beneath the stage. Then there is a sound of gentle rain falling. Opera ends. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.